Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. Good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, President Biden has had his first major success as POTUS with his fiscal stimulus package passing without a single Republican vote. Has business's normal return to US politics? Well, morning, Craig, and, and you're right. The hope of a more bipartisan approach under the Biden administration was certainly short-lived. Uh, the next test uh, for that bipartisanship uh, is going to be the second clutch of fiscal policies to be launched by the Biden administration that will focus on infrastructure. And my guess is that you will again see Republicans voting against further fiscal bills with the right faction, uh, in particular aligned with Trump, of course, increasing their rhetoric on the Democrats turning America into a social state. So I think we'll see more polarisation rather than a move to bipartisanship. Matthew, let's come bring it closer to home. With interest rates and inflation expectations climbing sharply since the start of the year, we saw RBA Governor Philip Lowe having to respond to rising market concerns that the RBA was falling behind the curve. He certainly didn't concede to the market pressure, however, sticking to the RBA's guidance that they won't be rising, raising the cash rate for a further three years. Given the enormous fiscal and monetary stimulus in train and the rollout of the vaccine, is the governor getting behind the curve? Well, Craig, despite the fantastic performance of the uh, Australian economy, we still must remember that there is sizable slack remaining. Uh, the unemployment rate is, is still at least two percentage points higher than what we would consider to be full employment. And that means to get back to that full employment uh, rate of unemployment, we have to find jobs for a further quarter of a million people who are currently unemployed, as well as absorb another potential 130,000 new entrants into the workforce. As a consequence, wage growth is extremely low at just 1.4% and unlikely to rise sharply, and inflation is currently under 1%. I want to pick up on those last couple of stats you raised there, Matthew, because those figures are very historical, capturing, one would argue, the lows of COVID. And as we discussed last week, we've had a record GDP quarter, so we know in some ways that growth and employment are improving. The market is therefore factoring a strong inflation outlook with pricing of BEIs, or expected inflation, at their highest levels since 2015, BEIs being break-even inflation swaps. Is it likely we'll see inflation hit 3% in the June quarter, the top of the RBA's target range, Matthew? Well, the spike in inflation that we'll see in the second quarter reflects really one-off factors, Craig, that will immediately fade from the inflation numbers. Uh, these things include reversals of price falls due to COVID policies, such as the provision of free childcare, and also the recovery in oil prices is another example. Uh, the main factor that's likely to drive inflation higher on a more permanent basis is wage growth. And as I said, it's not going anywhere fast. So our expectation is that inflation will fade back to around 1.5% um, by year end. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela in QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest outlook on inflation and the RBA's monetary policy. Matthew, inflation is certainly creating bifurcating headlines at the moment. This week, Lowe got some support from Nicholas Moore, who weighed in claiming zero marginal costs in the use of technology and the slack in labour markets spelt literal inflationary pressure. So could the market's inflationary pricing be wrong? 
Well, uh, not necessarily, and and it's not necessarily the case that uh, current uh, inflation pricing by the market is extremely high levels, notwithstanding the fact that it's at five years high. So while you're right that you know inflation expectations are high relative to recent history, they're only at around 2%, meaning that the average rate of inflation over the next five to 10 years is, is just at the lower end of the RBA's target range. Now, that's not something to be concerned over. And in fact, if it were too much lower than that, we would be worried that the RBA were not doing enough to stimulate inflation, not that they are doing too little to head off inflation. I think the problem's more in the timing of the next rate hike. And I think here, you know, traders in fixed income markets who brought forward the timing of the RBA's first rate hike into late 2022 had clearly gotten ahead of themselves. If, as Governor Lowe suggests, however, Matthew, it all comes down to the wage growth, why is the magic level of wage growth 3% or above for inflation to be at 2% or above? Well, first, wage growth tends to filter through to all sectors of the economy with a lag via its pass-through in supply chains. But despite this perversive impact on prices that labour costs tend to have, wage growth is partially offset by productivity growth. Hence, the eventual pass-through of labour costs to prices is actually something close to the growth rate in wages, less the growth in labour productivity. So given that labour productivity is expected to be between somewhere like 1% and 1.5%, Wage growth must be above 3% to arrive at an inflation rate of around 2% or above 2%. Okay, then, and hence the problem in getting inflation to stabilise within that 2 to 3% target band, given we are so far away from that level of wage growth. Matthew, the RBA goes on to say that we need to get the unemployment rate down to the low 4% in order to get that wage growth up to 3%. Do you agree? Well, Craig, when you think that for the uh, 18 months prior to COVID, we had the unemployment rate bouncing around that 5% mark and wage growth was barely above 2% and core inflation was averaging averaging just 1.6%, then yes, I think we probably do need to get the unemployment rate down to the low 4%. Interesting. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the economic implications as the globe's recovery from COVID-19 continues. Matthew, the unemployment rate peaked back in July last year in Australia at 7.5% and is now around that 6.4% level. If I simply extend those trends out from here to one year out, I get the unemployment rate being around 4.5%, the wage growth should in turn return to that 3% plus range and inflation above 2%. And in that period, who knows where Aussie residential will be as well. So with all that, should the RBA be expected to come under some pressure to raise interest rates as the market has been expecting? Well, I think the key assumption you're making there, Craig, is if we continue to lower the unemployment rate at the same pace that we have been doing over the last six months. And unfortunately, I think the easy wins on the employment front are now beginning to fade. So if you look at JobKeeper and and the JobSeeker supplement, they're coming to an end at the end of the month. And although some support to business will continue, it will only be a fraction of the JobKeeper, JobSeeker payments. And although the vaccine rollout 
up will help. The economy has largely been reopened since October, so further gains in employment will be much more hard won than we've seen over the last six months. And if we look back at history, don't forget, it took us four years to go from an unemployment rate of 6.4% following the collapse of the mining boom in 2013 to 5% in 2018. And so we think it'll take at least to the end of 2022 to get that unemployment rate down to 5% and to the end of 2023 to get it under 4.5%, that magic floor where we expect um, inf- uh, wage growth to hit above 3%. And you mentioned JobKeeper and job seeker payments. And of course, the government this week has come out with some more targeted stimulus measures going forward, including the half-price airline tickets, Matthew, which I'm excited about. This week, we have seen the government also temper their forecasts due to issues such as the Italians blocking a shipment of AstraZeneca. What other factors, in your opinion, could upset the time needed by Australia to achieve full employment and have that inflation back to its target levels? Well, a a couple of things there, Craig, stand out. One would be a more lengthy period of time that it would take us to uh, open our borders, as you sort of uh, refer to with the the AstraZeneca blocking. We are still not able to access uh, a significant part of or significant part of the economy I should say is not able to access its usual consumer base namely educational services with a lack of student numbers coming in and and tourism industry with a lack of international travelers now we've been able to adjust for that in the in the short term with a higher domestic spending but that's really off the back of government spending and that can't continue for it forever um, the other thing that we have to be uh, careful about is we're getting a lot of support in the economy at the moment from really strong terms of trade with iron ore prices at recent highs. If we see that reverse really sharply, then we are also going to take away a significant plank of uh, support to the Australian economy. So we need to see those terms of trade. They'll come down, but they need to come down gradually, not sharply. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresights shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, this week the S&P has warned Australia on its budget deficit and the risks to its AAA credit status. Are there any other scenarios that you can think of if the RBA gets this wrong? Well, what the S&P has warned is the consolidated deficits of the state and federal governments must come down from their current level 14% to around 3% of GDP over the next two years. Uh, We think the S&P target could be achieved because we think that the government has understated some of the drivers that will improve the budget. Our view is that the S&P target will be hit if we can get GDP growth averaging around 3.9% over the next two years, which we think is quite possible, and our terms of trade stay within 10% of their current levels. If we're correct on both of those assumptions, the RBA can continue with its currently current policy settings. If we're wrong and we lose our AAA rating, the RBA may have to uh, weigh up the impact of the loss of that rating on the outlook. And of course, Matthew, it has a bearing on the inflation and monetary policy, which will, of course, drive our valuations and exchange rates. Can you summarise what the various scenarios will mean for our institutional investors looking to position their portfolios for that future state? Well, the RBA scenario or central case as well as ours is what's been referred to as the Goldilocks uh, scenario. That is a recovery in the economy and in inflation that is neither uh, not too hot in the sense of driving uh, uh, growth too high and causing inflationary problems, interest rates rising too quickly, 
nor too cold that is lapsing back into uh, recession. The the major risk, I think, at the moment is the too hot scenario. That's a, a, a situation where growth and inflation surprise policymakers on the upside, policymakers both in terms of the uh, the government with respect to fiscal policy and the RBO sector monetary policy, get behind the curve, overstimulate the economy and find that they have to raise interest rates very sharply. What would that do? Well, obviously, that would create problems for risk assets, valuations, and probably see a bloodbath in the equity market and other risk asset markets. Matthew, thank you for your updates today. In short, it is complicated. With unprecedented levels of stimulus, it was natural for us to expect inflationary pressures. However, despite the markets pricing in stronger inflation, our central bank is highlighting that subdued wage growth and excess capacity will present headwinds to inflation hitting its target range. And with changes to workplace practices, such as the gig economy, and ongoing technological impacts to supply chains, the complications deepen. Such a high-stakes bifurcation of views presents a challenge to our institutional investors where inflation and interest rates are key determinants to the valuations of their listed and real asset exposures. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Do you agree with us? Contact us at qpod at qic.com with your feedback. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.